Hi, everybody. You're listening to Not Safe for Wonks. This is Rachel. I'm here with Brandon and Leia. Hey. And our special guest today is Lida Gold. She is a writer for Current Affairs and, frankly, a very good shit poster. Lida, hello. Hi. So glad to be here. Yeah. So uh, today we're going to do one of those sort of fun, loosey-goosey roundtable episodes. Uh, There's like a lot of shit going on right now. So really, we could just pick a direction and run. I mean, we've got the apocalypse, you know. (laughs) Things are going to get very bad very quickly. So we're just kind of, you know, uh, know, doing what we can. Waiting for it to finish falling apart. Yeah. 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 Uh, N- nailing know. down our post-apocalypse uh, fashion styles. That's right, yeah. I'm really uh, going for a Christian Grey thing kind of thing. I'm just going to wear tight suits, be very heteronormative. Uh, uh, yeah, you're groaning, but you'll be surprised. <laughs> Give you like nine sure months, you're, you're, I'll be it's going to get dirty. You have When you're planning uh, post-apocalyptic wear and attire, yeah. it, it has to be something that can get dirty and still get the message across. Shirts can't get dirty. Everybody's going to be going for the biker thing. I'm going to be the one clean dude in the apocalypse. Well, you're not going to be clean because where are you <laughs> going to find a dry cleaning place in the apocalypse? I'm going to have goons that do the cleaning. Have you seen Sailor Moon? You know how there's the one guy there that's in the in the tuxedo, and people are like, "Wow, that guy's doing something because he's he's still." You mean fitted. tuxedo mask? Yeah, tuxedo mask is great, but he will not live up to tuxedo mask. <laughs> no, I mean tuxedo mask also doesn't exist after the apocalypse. <laughs> like, well, okay, well, I'm not. Like, tuxedo mask is able to, like, like Rachel said, go to a dry cleaners. There will be no dry clean. You will have to waste a ton of your post-apocalyptic resources. Your like your caps on maintaining your troop of dry cleaners. <laughs> to be fair, like. People were wearing all kinds of fancy dress before dry cleaning existed. That's right. But they had, they had slaves, which I, yeah. which I likely won't have. They, they had steady resources. Brandon, how many slaves do you need for it to be reparations? That's, a, that's, <laughs> that's an excellent question, which I will not answer on air. But off air, I'll let you know more than four. Okay. <laughs> Well, Brandon, I firmly believe that you have what it takes to be a post-apocalyptic kingpin, and that's why I suck up to you. That's what we're all here for. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Lida, do you know uh, what you're going to be oh, wearing no. fashion-wise after the apocalypse wipes out like 80% of the population? Yeah, it's going to be. Think, I think the trick is that you need something that is tattered but looks good tattered. It looks like it was done that way on purpose. Yeah. So kind of like a derelict look, but like because it's fashion – it you know it'll it'll already be you'll already be fashionable even as your clothes fall apart because it'll always look deliberate. Mm. Good right, movie. sort of like like zombie normcore. I have That's been perfect. I have been zeroing in in the pre and the will be on the post apocalypse of the leather jacket and Hawaiian shirt combo because you would not believe how many people don't like Hawaiian shirts and then dump them in value stores like you can find racks of them in Goodwill's <laughs> so you can you can be scavenging more Hawaiian shirts and leather jackets are they're a no brainer but they're pretty plain on their own so you have to you, you know you have to spice it up. Well, you know, also after global warming turns the entire planet into a borderline uninhabitable rainforest, right. the Hawaiian shirts will also work as camouflage against predators. Indeed. Speaking of predators, Joe Biden. <laughs> oh, Joe Biden. Joseph oh, Robinette my Biden. God. What a transition. <laughs> wow. Okay. Yeah. So, uh, mm, big story right now. Uh, Tara Reid came forward and told her story of assault uh, at the hands of Joe Biden. And to be clear, we believe her. And it's kind of fucking horrific. I mean, I think to me, the most grim and dismal part of it is, you know, you've got like the DNC establishment just steamrolling through it. Like fucking Alyssa Milano is still sucking his dick. Like it's Mm -hmm. just. Alyssa Milano has been all retweets today. She made the one initial post that was like, come hang out with Joe this evening. And she got ratioed. Because it's a thing that you would get ratioed for. And Alyssa has not posted a post as Alyssa the entire day. I would imagine that's a PR nightmare. And that when you find something like that out, you have to just sort of sit down and be like, oh, God, what do I do? I mean, these sorts of people never really endorse these movements as a means of uprooting predators wherever they would find them, because no matter what sort of theory you subscribe as to why this happens, there are a lot of fucking shitty people in the rich. I think it's class solidarity because 
rich people have a lot more class solidarity than poor people. So they're more willing to hide the more uh, debauched of them. So this is a stylistic thing, but I really think that we should talk more about the case before we talk about the political reaction, because like, okay, you know, okay, because things. like, yeah, we got we got to explain things. Yeah, what's let, the deal? Yeah, uh, Lida, do you want to talk about like what the background of the case is and what? Because I'm sure that you've heard the interview. Do you want to like people yeah. who have no knowledge? Would you like to kind yeah. of dig into that a little bit? I will, and I would not recommend listening to the interview if like you're triggered by this stuff because it's rough. It's, it's like uh, it was extremely hard to listen to. Yeah, uh, um, Kitty Helper's that? posted seven minutes of it. She's going to post the rest of it, I think, tomorrow. You know, um, it's it's hard to listen to. It's it's yeah, it, it's it's a pretty upsetting testimony. Um, but yeah, I mean, the basic background is Biden has a long history of being accused of. It's never quite sexual harassment. It's usually sort of weird borderline stuff where he gets real he gets too close to people. He gets real touchy. He sniffs their hair. Um, he like he likes to put his forehead against other people's foreheads, which is just a really like weird, invasive, like gorilla move. I don't really get it. Um, and people have always like cast off as like, oh, you know, he just doesn't really understand. He doesn't really get personal space. He's just friendly. He likes to touch people. He gave like a non-apology apology a couple of years ago. But this particular story, um, Tara's story, is really horrifying. It's that he he outright sexually assaulted her. Um, she was worked for him, and they were alone together. And then he like just like suddenly assaulted her, and sort of acted like oh she she wanted it, and and you know and um and and they ended up she ended up leaving. Um, you know his stopped she stopped working for him, and then afterwards like there was some retaliation against her and she hasn't spoken about it for years she tried bringing it up a couple of years ago people were awful and then and then uh, more recently she tried to take it to times up um and you know because they're like you know that me too related organization they handle cases like this and they refused to take it because they claimed it would be like politically because joe biden is a candidate and then and then times up is a nonprofit, and it might hurt their uh their funding it's that's actually like really not true that's like a really like that's like a really timid interpretation of their own rules. So it's obviously bullshit. Made that argument. Yeah, someone mm -hmm. made that argument in a meeting of some kind and that argument won, which I think says more about them as an organization than any kind of specific action. Well, yeah. I think that there's sort of a widespread cowardice on the left. And this includes like further left spaces. It's not exclusive to libs where, you know, people would rather not pick a fight that might hurt them in the sort of splash around it. You know, so like these people, because they are cowards, they don't want to fight Joe Biden and the machine he's attached to. And I can understand that. Because they are that machine, a lot of them. Well, exactly, exactly. And like, I can understand sort of cognitively, like, okay, they don't bite the hand that feeds them. But to me, that just underscores the problem with this entire establishment, right? Like, these are people who are so just clout poisoned that they will literally go against their own principles at the first sign of threat. It's absolutely grotesque to me you can see the kind of harassment that lucy flores got lucy flores who uh accused biden of, of again like sort of minor touching but like inappropriate touching and people right. called her an opportunist and they said that she was a liar and they were really really horrible to her but yeah i think you know it's when it comes to somebody like Alyssa milano i think like kind of what's happening is it's that like that old post about like i never thought that leopards would eat my face it's like you know it's, yeah. it's things are only bad when it happens to you and to people who are exactly like you but when they happen to like you know staffers people who are like a tear down like people like um like the amy klobuchar situation is kind of a, an example like amy klobuchar like was, was terrible to staffers and she like is physically and verbally abusive to staffers. Well, they're just staffers. They're not really people. And it, a problem with the the Me Too stuff, the, the Melissa Milano sort of angle of it is it was this stuff happened to actresses. And some people were able to connect that to like, okay, well, these are things that happen to all women. But too many of them were like, well, these things shouldn't be happening to actresses. Right. Very specifically. Because they are important. Yes, because they're wealthy and and nothing should stand in the way of a wealthy actress, you know, getting mm -hmm. as, far, as far as she wants. Because liberals still believe in the class systems and the systems that lead indirectly to these situations, and they don't want to ha apply any analysis that would uproot that system. They only think the top echelon should not be discriminated. Uh, should not experience this gendered harassment. The rest of them, fuck them, but. The top ones, the good ones, the they don't deserve it. That's point is to do. Works. The point is to do exactly what Brandon would do in the post-apocalypse: is like get to the top, have your suit, have your slaves, and then like you're good, and then you can be as horrible as you want. And that exactly. is, that's you know, that's justice. Like, man. 
Yeah. If you can, if you tolerate the top guy being an abusive dickhead, then maybe one day you'll get to be an abusive dickhead yourself. It's it's a more almost Machiavellian approach to it. Like I will go up and I will be this person, but I have to play this game first. And like when I'm mm -hmm. you know top of the pile, I'll be better. But the things that they do the along machine the machine spits you out. Right. Exactly. And the things that they do to get to that point degrades them morally to the point where they become the monster, you know, and there's something corrupting about the entire process. You know, I don't know if it's just that people who are not predators cannot break through. I think that might be part of it. Um, or how much of it is just, you know, having that kind of power ruins you. Right. But it's not possible to be the one in charge at the top of the pile and not be destroyed by it like morally and ethically. I think mm -hmm. too many people who want power, that's exactly why they want it. They want to be able to do whatever they want to whoever. And I think for men especially, it's like a fantasy of power over over younger women, young women staffers who are, you know, are vulnerable people like that. They'll not, they won't admit that directly, but it's like it it undercuts a lot of what they're doing. Right. I mean, Joe Biden in particular from this story, you know, he put his finger in her face and said, you're nothing, you're nobody. And that to me illustrates exactly that kind of power dynamic. Like he did that for power reasons. Mm -hmm. He did that because he felt like he was entitled to do that. And when he was denied, even in the most appropriate of ways, you know, like obviously if somebody does that to you, correct reaction is, oh my God, what the fuck are you doing? And, you know, I mean, I guess some people shut down. I'm not going to say that's the reaction. I don't want to throw people under the bus who freeze up or whatever, but like it is an appropriate reaction to be taken aback. Right. But even that is like a personal, like existential threat to him. Interesting that Tara said that was the worst, in some ways, the worst part of it. And like the thing that it was the hardest for her to say is that he, he said that, that, that she was nothing. Yeah. And she that, really didn't want know. to say that. I, and I, I think I it's because that's the part that like cuts the most. Right. Like, and this has been my experience, you know, I'm, I'm an assault survivor and it's happened to me, unfortunately, more than once, right? And multiple times this has happened and I've come forward and the worst part of it was not, you know, this immediate moment of being assaulted, but the community's reaction to it, right? To, to minimize it, to minimize me. And that made me feel so fucking powerless, you know? And in this case, it's true, right? He has this power over her this immense power over her and it eats at your fucking soul to know that you have just this position in society get over. So I, I understand why that's the part for her. She kept so guarded and didn't want to share, you know, cause yeah, I mean, it's true. Like even now, even now people are dogpiling her. I yeah, saw uh, yeah. Go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, no, I was just saying, yeah, she, a few years ago, I posted something flattering about Putin. And so people decided she's a, she's a Russian agent. And it's exactly been like, what you know, I yeah. I yeah. swear to it's, fucking it's just, God. That's, and it's, it's, so, it's just so unrelated ugh. to what happened to her. It's just really, really sick. Because in the yeah. minds of liberals, anything bad can't be the fault of the good people because the good people are good by nature of being good. So anything bad that happens to them is Russia or is Trump or is PSYOPs or it's whatever. You see this a lot with liberals, not just about Russia, but broadly, right? These people have this almost childlike understanding of like categories right and it's like the way they deploy identity politics is another example of this where it's like oh well you know you have your oppression scorecard and the more ticks you have the more i'll take your opinion seriously or you know because this person is going up against trump whatever they did doesn't matter even if they're you know mike bloomberg who was functionally identical to trump it's not Trump, so it's better. They're the good guy, right? And it's so frustrating. And to yeah. try and get through to them about this, like things yeah. can both at the same time. Things can exist in dialectic, you know. Yeah, mm -hmm. like go ahead. Yeah, and Republicans have this problem too, much, much more, which leads to shit like QAnon and other associated movements of insane people trying to rationalize very bad things their people are doing away as for good reasons or caused by bad people. It's sports team politics taken to its logical conclusion. 
it's a children's show understanding of politics. I mean, even children's shows have their protagonist occasionally doing bad things and experiencing the consequences for them. That's actually interesting how you find better morality in a lot of children's stories than you do mm -hmm. in in like liberal life. But I mean, for liberals, like, you know, it's if everything is always about the lesser of two evils and it's always about making these calculations, then it it never matters really that much what the what team good does. I mean, they never wanted to hear about the things that Hillary had done. They didn't care about Bill Clinton's documented sexual assaults and rapes. They just mm -hmm. didn't, they didn't want to hear it because this was the team and this is the best team that we have. And that doesn't mean like actually acknowledging the flaws. If, even if you think that's true, it means just, you know, just not talking about it, sweeping it under the rug. It's, you know, it's mean to talk about because it's almost. tactical because it's yeah. mean, because ultimately they don't care. No, they don't. And, and it's frustrating. And I, I get, I get mad at liberals a lot. Um, and <laughs> Uh, Whom among us has not? I mean, and I think I think especially if you know if your parents were liberals, it, it can be really tough. If they, you know, if you were raised, you know, around that kind of setting, it can be really frustrating because part of your awakening as an adult was realizing that all of this and all these people who thought they were so smart and so good. And one of the incredibly frustrating things about liberals is they all think that they really know what's going on and they're smart and they're the people who love facts. And they're the people who love true narratives and and. They pay a lot of attention, and it's very, very difficult to convince them otherwise. Well, and it's this fundamental denial of human nature and how humans are. You know, people who think we're rational are wrong. If you start from the assumption that people are rational, everything you build upon that is going to be wrong. And they think oh, they are the most rational of all, right? And, and to them, it just becomes this matter of credentialing, right? So, you know, it's how much school did you get? How much money did you have? You know, who do you know and spend time with? How much money do you have. Like some people are fundamentally before the facts more correct than other people. Sure, right. And in this I representation. Think, and I think I'm going to wrap this back around to what you just said. Um, for them, identity is another credential, right? Um, and so there's been this weird sort of inversion where now they're like, you know, fetishizing and tokenizing oppressed identities. Um, but it's deployed in this very cynical way, like you were saying, Leia, where it's like, oh, I just completely lost my train of thought. It's gone back. Leah, what did you say? Repeat it. Uh, what did I say about what? Right before I said I was going to circle back. Um, fuck. I'm sorry. I can't remember either something about... Some people are fundamentally more correct mm -hmm. than other people. Right. So it kind of circles back to what you were saying, Leah. You know, some people are just more correct than other people. And it's... They deploy these identities and these credentials, functionally speaking, to just silence all dissent. You know, it's a way of in-grouping and out-grouping that they think means they have left that sort of in-group, out-group dynamic. And like you're saying, it's it's childish. It's absolutely the perspective that a child would have on these issues. I also think that to a large degree, it's a moral thing. I mean, once you've set yourself up, you know, you think of yourself as a quote-unquote progressive and it's a moral issue, and you have kind of defined yourself as the most moral actor in the room. And so they think of being left wing to the moral, you know, morally superior to being right wing. So when someone discusses these things that's from their left or in a way that's, um, you know, maybe has a starker moral contrast with their policies, then they have to kind of position that as morally inferior. And how do you present like a policy that's objectively more just or more human centric or more moral as something that's actually immoral. Well, you have to say that, that the perfect is the enemy, the good, and you have to, to slate it as impractical. And so when you have liberals that criticize the left, it's never on policy lines. It's just like, well, I have objectively figured out the, the outmost limits of what is sensible. And so you advocating for anything that's more just is actually so insensible and so unreasonable as to actually become an evil action. And this is kind of one of the reasons why, you know, if you're attacking Joe Biden, they'll be like, well, you're helping Trump. And that's actually the bad thing. And me covering for Biden is actually a good thing and the morally just perspective on the issue. The thing they'll do is they'll sometimes in invent or really, really read in bigotry where it isn't, because that's like another way to deal with left attacks is to be like, well, the leftists are the true bigots. And so things like, you know, find in every single word that Bernie says and in his tone and the way he shakes his finger, finding like misogyny in that, 
Like they will peer at him with a, like a microscope trying to find like the misogyny particles, but like they don't care how many women have come forward about Joe Biden. Like it, it, it doesn't matter because the only what's important is making sure that you can prove that your opponent is, has done something bad and has the bad morals. And if they have the bad morals, then you are OK. And you never ever think about what you who you're supporting and what you're doing. If the other person is incorrect, then you are by nature correct. Right. And I think in particular, this is an indictment of liberal feminism like this moment is an indictment of that you know it is so selfish liberal feminism right or like white feminism right where it exclusively exists as a shield against criticism and it it has no real practical application it doesn't really mean anything it's not a way of engaging with other people passionately or empathetically to help elevate the most vulnerable among us. It is exclusively a shield and a trump card that you play when you want the other person to shut up. That's the only way I I see it deployed in, in, I guess, a quote unquote positive way is, I mean, people, I I I think a lot of women who, you know, work, you know, well-paying white collar jobs, they do experience a lot of real sexism. It's usually, you know, microaggressions of things. But their concern when they're talking about feminism, what they really mean is, I should be allowed to be as terrible as male capitalists. I should be able to get away with the same shit they do. I should be able to throw my binder and hit my staffers. Uh, it, it, that's that's what they want. And, and what, they, what they definitely don't want solidarity with poor women. But they, they do want a kind of, and then they are reacting to real things because they are facing real sexism. It's just on this like, this micro scale where the kinds of actual, like very, very serious misogyny that needs to be dealt with that are like priorities that affect women who are not like them, they might pay it lip service, but it's not their main interest. Liberalism at its core is aesthetics and power and the power, the aesthetics mask the power and the people want power. And so they will use liberalism to get it. And the aesthetics are feminism or whatever kind of shape or form they want to to mask it but they don't believe in the aesthetics they just believe in power it's one of the reasons it's so hard to explain it to them because they do not perceive it that way at all they really think they're fundamentally we don't share the same base assertions which means it's almost impossible to argue with them right well i mean because when you're dealing with a person who believes that there is such a thing as an essential truth within the political sphere or the social sphere or the interpersonal sphere. Like I said earlier, right, they believe people are rational, they believe there is essential right. truth. That fundamental belief, aside from being, you know, part of their ego, right, and part of their sense of self, you know, it's also the foundation upon which they built everything else. And when that shatters, you know, who are they? And it, for them, that is the abyss, right? That, that's oblivion, that's obliteration, to have to accept or even consider that people are irrational and that perhaps I too am irrational. It's funny because at the core, they're kind of fetishizing this is very masculine. It's very like, like uh, enlightenment era, masculine approach to like what humans are like and the sort of assumption that you humans are based on reason, but it really was men are reason, you know, men embody reason, women embody emotion. And they've sort of gotten on that, but by saying like, we're very reasonable and we're very rational and we're going to ignore emotion and feeling. And it, it's it's these these qualities that are associated with the feminine. It's, it's actually like a really interesting, like subtle internal sexism that I, they do not grasp at all. Right. These are not people who are particularly skilled at self-examination or reflection for that matter. That being said, I don't think that like, you know, liberals and liberal feminists in particular are necessarily, you know, lost. I think that I think a lot of them are, are actually since when they talk about intersectionality they're often very sincere it's just that they they don't understand that they're not doing the class part of it and you have to really rub their faces and be like no like you're, you're really not looking at class mm-hmm. and and they, when i was yeah. talking earlier i wasn't to say that all liberals thirst for power a lot of them sincerely believe in the aesthetics but just don't know about the power backing them yeah. to whom the power will go and if you can get them to understand it i think you can start to turn people around and i've, I've seen some people that i know slowly 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 start to turn around warren was a step back for a lot of them they really they got really into her and they were not they were into her for aesthetic reasons and they were not interested in things like you know her her history of claiming native american heritage just didn't want to hear about it right well and i think probably they rationalize it away as like well listen if that's the only thing that's wrong with her right now realizing of course that if you treat it that way that's saying you know this egregious act against an extremely vulnerable community is it's not that big of a deal 
you know, and, and they can't connect it because it doesn't touch them. And, you know, you talk about like them needing to sort of face the reality of their privilege, right? To use sort of their own language. Um, I, I think they need to get hurt more. Like, I hate to say it, right? Like, in such stark terms. And I'm not saying I want them to be, like, hurt, like, in terms of sexual violence or gender-based violence. But, like, they need to take hits financially. They need to understand what it's like to not know where your next meal is going to come from. You know, they need to forcibly develop this empathy before I think they're going to even be able to really consider class. And in some ways, that's, like, the only silver lining of it being the apocalypse. (laughs) Finally, these women, and I I say these women because... I feel like I am actually, you know, no, I'm gonna call myself out. I was a little sexist. It's not just women, because there's men who, these people, you know, who are doing this, you know, finally are feeling insecure. And I, I don't know. I don't think that they're ever going to be able to get it if they don't get it now either. Yeah. So I don't know. We're going to see what happens. I mean, it's you're, basically, you're basically saying they won't get it. I, you know, listen, they might get it when Trump wins a second term because they ran Joe Biden against him. I think it's very interesting because I feel like. In a lot of ways, we are seeing everything that we've seen in the last 15 or so years in terms of neoliberalism as our all of our favorite buzzword, climate denial. Uh, we're just seeing a lot of things that have been omnipresent in our lives on extreme fast forward the last few months. So um, like the entire climate crisis is one that we're going to see an extreme fast forward just in terms of, is it good for business? Um, should we leave people out to dry and try to get things back to normal as soon as possible? Uh, is it a hoax? Is it something that the Democrats made up? Oh, there are some people dying. How many people are dying? Is this a big deal, really? Can we get back to work? Um, and for better or for worse, we're going to kind of see that approach in the month of uh, April. And we'll, <laughs> and we'll yeah. kind of see how humans react to tragedy and whether there's enough awareness for us to say, wait, now that I, and unfortunately there's just a tendency in people to once they see bodies or material injury to reevaluate, how did this happen? How can we stop this? So we're going to see, will that be the reaction to say, how can we stop this? Or will they try to push through it? And that will give, uh, I think, people who are politically aware some some cues on how they should think of eco-fascism or environmental catastrophe, whether there's a urge to pull up at the sight of what could potentially be happening this year, or whether they'll try to push through it and we'll have the opportunity to adjust our politics uh, accordingly. So it's interesting that you bring up ecofascism because something that I've been trying to say about what's been happening this year is that the center has been failing for decades now, of course. And by the center, I mean the estab- generally the establishment of neoliberal politics as it exists. The center is increasingly failing and people are going to be forced to take a side. When it comes to the climate crisis, people will have to choose between, as the age old quote goes, socialism or barbarism, as in they'll have to take their existing beliefs to their logical conclusions and embrace eco-fascism or they'll embrace socialism. But I think I don't know how the split is going to be. I would hope that more people embrace socialism than than fascism in times like these. But it's definitely a choice that every person is making every day that still is in that center. We're already seeing it from the overtly fascist wing too, right? Like this whole conversation is only 2% of people. And it's not just that it's only 2% of people, right? It's which 2% of people? An unproductive the eaters, right? And that's the thing is like they're the selling the line it. must yeah. go up, the number must they're go up. They're selling it. Well, and it's not just that, but the way that they're selling it is exactly the same way Nazis sold the final solution. And True. So, these sorts of people I, I, would be saying in, in in these sorts of people would be saying in eighteen fifty nine, you know, slaves only constitute th- uh Slaves only constitute about 11% of the U.S. population. Why should we sacrifice the entire Southern economy for them? It it just remains to be seen whether people are comfortable with that rhetoric. Um, And a lot of people who are comfortable with that rhetoric, their stomach changes when they see it. Like there are a lot of people who are comfortable with uh, Nazi rhetoric before Charlottesville. And they might have been comfortable enough to go to a march. But when they saw it and saw the reaction to it, they were like, wow, this is too much for me. And they kind of dropped off. So I, I do wonder whether if people see the consequences of their rhetoric, whether there will be 
some reawakening of their humanity. And they'll say, oh, 2% is actually a lot. Or whether there mm. will just be a, yeah, okay, good. I mean, there is almost a sociopathic drive amongst boomers that I've been seeing where this god-awful state, our Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick said, like, I would be willing, a lot of seniors would be willing to die so that the economy can go up again. And there's people, there are actual people that are saying this, that it's okay if I die so the number can go up again. They don't mean it for a second. They don't, they're not the one who are going to die. I know. It's like people who like simp the police or simp, right? Like Mm -hmm. they don't actually ever want to make that sacrifice. But I also, one thing I could see happening, you know, since we're in the worst timeline, right? The center has been capitulating to the right for ages. And I could actually see legitimately these people deciding that it's a worthy sacrifice, you know, in the concept or in the context of like eco-fascism or some sort of greater good, lesser of two evils, right? And I do think that these are people who could buy it, who could legitimately decide, you know, oh, well, I think ultimately more people, and what they really mean is, you know, people like me are going Mm -hmm. to be harmed if we don't sacrifice this, you know, 2% of people who are already, you know, second-class citizens. kill millions of people for the blood god under 11 Wall Street. Right. Well, and I mean, clearly the people, you know, at the very top who control the stock market are feeling the blood sacrifice because it did go back up. It didn't go back up for money, but it went back up for people being literally sacrificed as, you know, horrific deaths. Like they're summoning some kind of eldritch god. I'm just going to tell you, I'm not going out. I'm not going uh, uh, out of my house until I see Gal Gadot is filming that movie. Uh, (laughs) The basketball players are out playing basketball. When I see like the the labor aristocracy of the very rich that have things to lose and can sit at home, uh, they're out shaking hands and kissing babies. When Donald Trump is out there doing that, uh, I'll hit the streets, but not any sooner than that. Uh, Tangentially. Um, You know. The people who go out there, you know, on Easter Sunday when Trump says it'll be an aesthetically pleasing time to go, those will be the people who, like, are forced into it and they have no other option. Well, and Uh. so you said earlier, uh, you think that when people start really seeing the consequences of this, they might have a change of heart if they can't stomach it. I have to Um, hope so. Although I've seen an entire human history of people uh, who have uh, just gone through with it. But maybe we're in a different age. I, I, I mean, try to hope so. I would have. I think this is the same sort of argument that's been made about Republicans and about what Trump is doing. Like, oh, certainly, as soon as he does X, Y, or Z thing, they'll disavow him after they see what it's doing, and then he does X, Y, or Z thing, and they cheer him on. But the hope right. here is that it negatively affects them specifically. But that doesn't even fucking happen. I, there are posts where people are selling their MAGA hats to pay for uh, to pay for health insurance costs. Right. It, it's well, and so incredible. you know, thinking about specifically the context of the pandemic. I mean, Brandon and I are in Atlanta. We just hit the crisis point where our ICUs are full, so things are about to get very, very bad here. Right. Um, sure. But Lida, you're mm-hmm. in New York. Yeah. You're in <laughs> Death City. Oh God. Yeah. So. Uh, I think you could probably give us some insight into people's reactions to it now that it's, you know, so much more present in your lives. So I, I've been flashing back to all the novels and it's more than I thought there were, all the novels that I've ever read about like the Black Death. Uh, because like, I definitely, I'm definitely that asshole who stayed behind in, in the city and like tried to ride it out rather than escaping to like the countryside. And uh, I have a lot of regrets. Um, but like, I haven't left my house in four days and not going outside at all if I can help it. Uh, it's really, really scary. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, our, our, I think I, I, the numbers, I've been working on a piece about Cuomo, which hopefully will go up pretty soon. Um, and, and every day I've been, you know, at the beginning, I give like the, the numbers, the infection rate in New York, and every day I have to, I have to up it by a thousand. So I think we're at like 15,000 cases in the city and then 30,000 in the state. Something I've been doing with my journal these past few days is recording the daily us totals and it's really sobering to look back on the pages of journals and see like at the beginning of this month we were at 300 cases right and now like in georgia you know we have we've had a thousand deaths now and i mean we don't have any tests so we kind of just have to operate assuming everybody has it at this point and it's i mean it's fucking grim so i i'm curious you know what's it like 
you know, a couple weeks into the future, uh, what's Cuomo doing about it? You know, oh, sort of give I, us like, the scoop, you know? I need to fucking rant for a second about goddamn fucking Cuomo because I am losing my actual shit. Um, Cuomo is Yes. Sorry, what was that? I've just kind of... Hero left. I've just kind of been assuming that anyone who has held the governorship of New York is a corrupt asshole. <laughs> you are correct. Yeah, New York politics are famously corrupt, and, and the Democratic Party is especially, like, super, super corrupt. Um, Cuomo's, Cuomo's terrible. Cuomo is the governor because his father was governor. His father, to some degree, was an actually was a liberal hero who was, was actually progressive in his way. Um, Andrew is an opportunist. He has done a couple progressive policies, but pretty much only when he was pushed you know, pushed to the left and when he uh, ran against Cynthia Nixon in 2018 for his re-election. Um, he did do things like $15 minimum wage, but like it was politically popular at the time. He only does shit that's politically popular. If it's not, he will not do it. And he is like, he'll basically only do things if rich people are, are signed off on them. So, you know, um, gay marriage passed that in 2011, but again, only because rich people were okay with it. And suddenly everybody knows that he's garbage and he's a mean guy. He has a, he has a terrible reputation. He's he's nasty in person. He doesn't like people. Um, he's really vindictive. And like this is stuff like people have people around him have said about him. Like this is like well known. Um, he's he's a very unlikable person. And yet all of a sudden in the last like two three days, everybody wants to fuck him, and I want to kill all of them. And they want to fuck him because he's been on TV. I've it's been not saying there's this article. It's like this is the moment Andrew Cuomo became a real governor. I swear to <laughs> God, I, I have been that. saying that. In 1988, there was a plan by Democratic insiders that if Jackson was able to overcome Dukakis, that they would force a brokered convention and then appoint Mario Cuomo as the compromise candidate. That was in 1988. And I'm beginning to have an inside fear that at convention that at convention they're going to yank Biden off stage with like a big vaudeville hook and then Cuomo <laughs> is going to be thrust in as the nominee after getting millions of eyeballs on him after coronavirus. I, I think people don't under I didn't really understand this myself until very recently and did a little research on it, but it is very easy for a candidate to drop out at the convention, tell their delegates what to do. I mean essentially that's what Bernie did in 2016 and it was sort of mm -hmm. a formality. But if he could yeah, Biden can absolutely drop out and tell them all to endorse Cuomo and they will. And if he's riding this popularity wave. Yeah. So he's popular because he's been on TV and he's been like yelling at Trump and saying we need more medical supplies, we need more beds. Okay. New York State has been through one really bad round of Medicaid cuts. And Cuomo just proposed another like Thursday, like not not like a year ago, like on Thursday, his his commission proposed like another round of cuts. And these are cuts and to hospitals. You understand that it's like we were talking about before. Cuomo is on the good person team. So he is a good person. <laughs> and he yells at the bad people and the bad people team. So he can't be a bad person and do bad things because bad people do that. And he's not a bad person. He's on the good people team. You could program a bot to think the way these people do, like seriously. Mm -hmm. It's it's insane. And and like, it's infuriating enough that they think he's a good guy, that they think he's sexy is actually breaking my brain and I'm losing. Like what? Just take a look. I, let me Google this man, see what he looks like real quick. Hold on. Please, it's very important. Get, get lost in those in those mean lines. He's got a very mean like bulldog face. Mm -hmm. I'm looking at him right now and- oh. Sexy, he, feeling it? No, I'm not really one <laughs> for men to begin with, but he definitely, he almost looks like Papa John. Jesus. <laughs> he does look like Papa John. <laughs> yeah, he's not good looking. He's 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 not a good person. He has a scowl about him that's just like, yeah. he's he like, I will like fucking spit on you from the top oh, yeah. of my yeah. penthouse. Yeah. He looks like the guy who took it way too far when they were hazing freshmen. <laughs> yeah, that is very descriptive. Um, yeah, he's... He's a nasty piece of work, and he has been for a really long time. One of the big problems in New York state politics is they, uh, for a long time, the legislature is actually controlled by the Democrats, but there was this group called the IDC, um, Independent Democrat Commission, I think, something like that. And they were, they were a group of very conservative Democrats who just caucused with the Republicans. So it ended up being a Republican-controlled Senate, and it was actually really hard to get anything done. And Cuomo would always be like... Hands are tied. I've got this Republican Senate. What can you do? He he's the reason the IDC exists, and he lies about it all the time. But like, there's tons of people who have like, because nobody's really loyal to him. So tons of people talk shit about it. They're like, yeah, no, he totally like directed and was like very much a part of like having the IDC exist because it kept him from being pushed to the left. 
it kept him from actually having to do things. Otherwise, this is a very blue state and you know, a very, very liberal state. And we could have done a lot. And we've already done more than most. But they would have pushed him much further than he was willing to go. And so he supported the IDC. And he constantly fucking lies about it. And it makes me absolutely crazy that everybody's forgotten this. They've got, they've got prisoners making hand sanitizer. like, And they're not even making it. I don't know if you've seen this, but they're not, they're not? even fucking making hand sanitizer. They are buying hand sanitizer and having the inmates this. remove the labels and then put New York State clean on the labels. Oh my God, can you send me this? I will actually make I'm, sure it gets to the article. I'm, I'm trying to, I, I will find it. Okay, doesn't have to, to be right now. Yeah, because I, I would like to, to put that in because that's very important to know. They're buying hand sanitizer, removing the labels, and putting New York State labels on them. It's incredible. That's the kind of shit he does. He does that all of the time. There was this situation with a, with a bridge. There's the Tappan Zee Bridge, which was falling down for years and years. And they finally were building... Sorry, there's ambulances in the background because there's a lot of ambulances now. Um, uh, they're, so they're, they're building this new bridge, the new Tappan Zee. He wanted to name it after his father, the Mario M. Cuomo Bridge. Nobody wanted that, so they, they hyphenated it to uh, Mario M. Cuomo Tappan Zee Bridge. Nobody calls it that. Anyway, they the bridge was scheduled to be ready right before the, the primary, uh, the 2018 Democratic primary, but it was late. Um, and Cuomo rushed it and they did a big old ribbon cutting ceremony like a week before the primary and it wasn't ready. And like they had to close it immediately because a part of the old bridge was going to fall on it and they had to blow up the old bridge. It was a whole thing it, instead of like taking it down like, you know, in a safe way. It was wild. And it was so obviously just like this big old fucking stunt and to get his daddy's name on a bridge right before the election. And and he pretend he thinks you're stupid. Cuomo thinks you're stupid and you don't notice. And so that's why he'll do things like, oh my God, this article is crazy. That's why he'll do things like this, a label switcheroo. Like, and they think I've been thinking, older. I've been thinking about it and we live in the worst timeline as Rachel has said and continues to say. And it only makes sense that the kind of slimy fucking corrupt asshole of Cuomo would be nominated in a backroom, smoky, cigar-laden poker game of a nomination process after the senile, old, racist, rapist, conservative Joe Biden was yanked off with the aforementioned vaudeville hook. Yeah, yeah and Cuomo will get killed against Trump. It is, because the, he's, it is the death this party deserves. Because Cuomo is like, he's like a nasty New York asshole, kind of like Trump, but he's not funny. Trump is, and, and he's also, he's really angry easily. So Trump will just make fun of him. He'll lose his temper and look like a childish idiot, which he is. And that'll be the end of it. Yeah. It'll only be, yeah, he will only be funny when he's angry and when he inevitably loses New York in the yes. electoral college. God, I wouldn't vote right. for him. Well, and I think, you know, it's, his biggest strength is that he understands like marketing and branding, but he's not going to beat Donald Trump at that. He couldn't beat Donald Trump at that. And that's the same reason Biden's not going to win against Donald Trump because Biden can't do the same kinds of marketing and branding and he can't take him in a fight, you know, like so long as the strategy is we're going to pit this other really grotesque person up against him. Like no one's going to beat Donald Trump at that game. You can't, he is the best at being the absolute consummate snake shit head are you saying he's the best at being the worst he's the best <laughs> right he's the most effective grifter nobody he he pioneered um, being nobody. donald trump so nobody else can be donald trump yeah. well exactly you're not going to beat him at his own game you just can't because he other, fucking invented it other cuomo related news uh and and i guess there's a correlated corollary to the he thinks you're stupid thing do you guys remember the women's equality party um, Lindsay Boylan has been on our show a little while ago and she talked about uh, Andrew Cuomo made a political party called the Women's Equality Party uh, to support him uh, because he was, you know, running against a woman in a primary, uh, Zephyr Teachout. And so he made Side a party note. called the Women's Equality Party to back him. And then later on, he was challenged by another woman, Cynthia Nixon. And so this party that was like literally his political party that he'd made up out of nothing. Uh, also endorsed him uh, so that he could be a true champion for women's equality. And so uh, Lindsay Boylan mentioned this as something that really annoyed her. And I think AOC also mentioned it as something that annoyed her as just like the most cynical wrangling of identity uh, to just get like a, a woman lieutenant governor and a, a party called the Women's Equality Party for branding 
and to just run behind it as a shield. Side right. note, what we should do an episode sometime about the fucking insane and weird world of New York fusion ballots. Well, and because these people are fucking children, they just accepted it at face, right? It's just like we were saying earlier, right? They think about it in these very like binary, just segregated sort of conceptualizations of identity and power. And so it doesn't really matter. They're not going to interrogate like, okay, this is the women's equality party, but what are they actually doing? What are their actual values? Because they don't care. They literally only care about the signifier. Mm -hmm. It's the good people team. To be fair, and maybe this is giving people more credit than they deserve. I mean, people only know what they know. And, you know, when people flip on the TV and they see Cuomo giving a presser and he's talking about all the stuff that he's done for the city and how he's yelling at Trump, like, we need more hospital beds. There's no an, there's no um, analysis afterward. There are no anchors who come on and say, well, Cuomo's Medicaid cuts actually are largely responsible for the reason that they don't have enough hospital beds. They don't say cool. that because they don't know and they don't care. So people don't know this stuff. All they see is what they're being shown. And they don't know enough to ask and they should know enough to ask. It's not, I'm not saying that they're helpless and they should be doing more, but they really like no one is giving them this information at all. You have to look for it. You have to really dig and it's not there. I mean, why would they, right? It goes against their class interests. They want him to like them because he's content. And I mean, it's, you know, it's similar, right? right? Like we do a similar thing here, right? Like we have people on the show who are much smarter and more interesting than we are. So that we can create content that is better than would exist if it was just us sitting around a table, you know, yelling about, I don't know, Andrew Cuomo, right? Just like even (laughs) you guys are smart and funny. This is not this is bullshit. Thank you. Yeah. But I mean, like, I like I understand clout building. Right. And I understand, like, we're not going to turn around and be like, oh, light of gold sucks. You know, because could that's, do that, and I wouldn't even mind. Could do that, we might. We'll Whatever. see. Right, right, but I mean, like you know, there's sort of like an unspoken understanding. Like you try not to badmouth people who were willing to come on the show in the first place. I mean, now there's been some people who came on the show and did some really just shit. We immediately disavowed them. Like it's not mm-hmm. like we won't mm-hmm. do it, but like you know, we if- had people who were almost on the show and bu- were assholes about it needlessly, and we right. will continue to yell at him about yeah. him. Of course. And I mean, like, it's not like we're completely unwilling to, you know, shine light on things. But like, there's also been some people who came on the show and like, it was like an okay interview. And like, we probably wouldn't like have them back, you know, but it, we wouldn't name them right now. Right. Like we wouldn't like say like, oh, that was the person who did the bad interview. Cause like, you know, it's sort of part of the like, unspoken. do that. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's it's different when it's a like a power thing, and you know, what's the stuff that Andrew Cuomo has actually done, and you just let him get up on stage and and act like a tough guy, and you don't talk about the things that he, as a very very powerful man, has actually done. Um, you know, the things like honestly, the shit the city should have been shut down two weeks ago, uh, and it was only. I, really I remember Monday. hearing about. I remember hearing about Cuomo postponed a shelter-in-place order only because Bill de Blasio first recommended it. Uh, yeah, I mean, his feud with de Blasio is like, it's like, it, it was funny for a while. It was, it's, it's still kind of funny. But it's really childish. Like, these two grown men are being real children. And I don't want to let de Blasio off the hook because he also extremely sucks. And, but they really, they, neither of them could get it together and shut down the city when it needed to. There were... I started uh, self-quarantining about two weeks ago because I work from home. It's like really easy for me to, my whole life is basically self-quarantine as it is. I just kind of stopped going to the gym is like the only difference. Uh, and like, really, it's very sad. I'm a sad person is what I've realized. Um, but oh, they are a millennial. Yeah. We're all similar. But they, they, you know, you see, I, I have the same lifestyle, but it's just because I'm unemployed and can't drive. Yeah, I think it's actually surprisingly familiar to a lot of people, the, the quarantine life. Uh, there's mm. like a number of situations in which it gets um, but nobody had ever written about the isolation and alienation caused by being a worker surely someone somewhere has thought of this i like Maybe. i've never been that bitch who's been like you need to read Marx. but lately i am like can you just because like when people were like super shocked the other day and i was like a little surprised that they would so openly be like we got to get people back to work even if people die but people are like, I can't believe in my wildest dreams that this would have ever happened. And I'm like, just actually. Need to and you're just fucking and- staring at the camera. Like, really? Really? Or you, can't, you can't back, believe like, it. 150 years ago in our own history. You know, look at the history of the labor movement in the United States. I mean, Jesus. Like, look at what happened in West Like, Virginia. Do you know a thing? Like- do you know a single thing? <laughs> 
Well, and the answer is no. They don't know anything that they were not drip fed and then tested on, you know, in a standardized test. And all of that is designed to be extremely like rosy and favorable to ourselves. Right. And and it's frustrating because they don't they don't know what they don't know. And they operate from a point of view that they already know all of the things. And if you actually have any like the more you read, the more you realize that you actually need to read more and you don't know anything at all. But you've got these people who haven't done any like any real serious reading since college, if that. And I mean, I don't know most of them even were reading in college. Yeah, I mean, like, you know, they probably did a little, but they were probably, you know, yeah, I went to Oberlin and I still read a fair bit of liberal propaganda. Like I and it's See, I don't read, but I just absorb my opinions from people who do. Well, on that cheery note, uh <laughs> we are at about an hour, so we should probably wrap up. Um, I'm happy to sit and talk to you for hours if that's what you choose, but we try uh, to respect people's time here. <laughs> yeah. um, but anyway. You guys are lovely and I would like to, but I'm also really tired from a long day of being extremely uh, angry. That's scared. cool. I, yeah. I I know how that goes. No. The it's it's on it's being extremely twenty twenty is the point. year of being extremely angry and scared. Yeah, that's a fucking mood. Yeah. <laughs> and on that note, uh, yeah. we have been not oh, safe for uh, wants. Lida, do you have uh like a Twitter handle you want to push? I know you probably want to push the Cuomo article you're about to publish. Uh, anything else? That's it. It's Lida underscore gold is my Twitter. Um probably on it too much. Yeah, this Cuomo article's coming. I have uh, one about liberal feminism I did a couple weeks ago. Um, there's other stuff, in, mostly on current affairs, probably the best way to find my stuff. So you should subscribe to current affairs, in fact. Subscribe to you know, the time, by the time that episode, By the time this episode drops, your Cuomo, episode, your Cuomo article will be out more than likely. Oh yeah, it should be. It better be. Here's open. We will beat you up. It better be out. <laughs> uh, better be in the mail. I got people. Um, that's right. <laughs> I mean, listen, I'm not entirely convinced people are still going to have the infrastructure to listen to this podcast by the time this episode. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> but, like, assuming oh, that there is a future in this uncertain world, you can listen if to this you're, if you If you're, if you're changing into your, if you're changing into your post-apocalyptic fit, then, you know, listen to us how you will. If not safe for wonks is distributed through usb drives hidden in the soles of shoes then so but uh while there is still an internet and while you can still do this uh we would love to solicit money uh we love our patrons thank you for giving us money uh we do need it to live especially now that everyone is unemployed and if you would like to give us money, you can go to patreon.com slash not safe. If you would like to find me on Twitter, I am at reach Rachel Khan. Um, I am at Brandon Buchanan. And actually, uh, Lida retweeted my SpongeBob post. I don't know if she knows this, but um, when I, I saw it. I did know that. I don't, yeah, think exactly. I, I don't think I realized it was you. Oh my gosh. It's a know. very good post. We're the, man, the man behind the posts. Wow, I'm so honored. You're welcome. It's my privilege. <laughs> and Leah's not on Twitter anymore, but uh, so due to my due to my father, hi Tim, go fuck yourself, harassing me off of it. Oh no! Oh, that's awful. I'm so sorry. Yeah. So you know, eh, it's, it's fitting. Cool. It's a fitting mood to end on. While wake up by donating to the Patreon and giving Leah money. Think Indeed. about it. Indeed, give me yes. money. So Absolutely. we have been not safe for wonks. Uh, thank you and good night.